It's time for Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the show focusing on fishing, hunting, outdoor recreation, destinations, and conservation in the region where you live and play. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lure Company, Sportsman's Warehouse, and Wallowa County. And now, let's see what's going on in the field and on the water with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. Have you been fishing yet this spring? I got a chance to do so last week when I put my kayak into the back of my pickup and headed to Potholes Reservoir in eastern Washington for an afternoon of bass fishing. The fishing? Well, it wasn't fast and furious, but I did get bit three times and caught two bass, the biggest one a largemouth weighing about two and a half pounds. My bait of choice was a new one for me, a chatterbait. You know what? I can see why a lot of bass anglers like it, because it works. Definitely a fun day on the water, made more so by the fact that I got to hang out with a beaver that was about 10 yards away from my kayak, just kind of eyeballing me for a while before he got bored and went back into his dam. In other news, a lot of folks like to hunt deer and elk in Idaho, and if you do, you'll be interested to know the Fish and Game Commission there has increased opportunities in some areas and lessened it in others. In Hunt Units 14 and 15 near Grangeville and Elk City, chronic wasting disease was detected in big game for the first time last year. In an effort to slow the spread of the disease, Idaho is increasing the amount of tags available in these areas for both deer and elk. Mandatory testing of any harvested animals for CWD is required in these areas. Meanwhile, in Hunt Unit 8 near Moscow and Lewiston, there was an epizootic outbreak last year. Unlike CWD, this is a temporary disease, but it did set back the deer population there, and there will be 1,500 less white-tailed deer tags available to compensate for that. Game management, it is a challenge on an ongoing basis. This week on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we've got more audio for you recorded at the Bighorn Outdoor Adventure Show in Spokane. One guest we'll be chatting with is Randy Birch. He's the owner of the Kukanooza Resort and Marina, and he's going to tell you about vacationing at Lake Kukanooza, bordering Canada and northwest Montana. If you enjoy fishing, boating, and maybe a little fun on your ATV, you're going to like this place. There are Kokanee and Lake Kukanooza, and Bob Loomis with Max Lure will tell you about a lure you can use to catch them during an extended Max Minute. After that, we'll get a chance to talk to Dale Ballard. He's the man behind Finn Reaper Guide Service located in the Dalles, and he'll take you out to the Columbia River this spring for walleye, spring chinook, and come May for catch and keep sturgeon fishing in the estuary of the mighty Columbia. After that, Brad Trumbo, the author of Wing Shooting the Palouse, joins us again. He's a biologist during the week and an avid pheasant hunter during the weekend when the season is open, and we'll be picking his brain about why our pheasant populations have plummeted in Oregon and Washington in the last 30 years and what we can do to bring those ringnecks back. In addition to this, we've got a couple of news stories for you, as well as our Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week, where you get the chance to win a $25 gift card from America's premier outfitter. Before we get into all this, though, it's time to kick off our show the way we always do with another edition of Sportsman Spotlight. 
Retired wildlife biologist Ted Cook goes on a moose hunt. David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. I drew my once-in-a-lifetime bull moose tag and had a pretty exciting hunt. I put in, managed to draw this year, and it's a long season. It goes from, I think, August 30th to mid-November or something like that. But I wanted to do it during the rut because that's fun and exciting. And where we elk hunt in central Idaho, we've seen moose there, and that's where I drew my moose tag. And so I had an idea of where to go. So we headed out third week in September, and it was the first snow of the year up in the mountains which ended up playing a factor because we planned on going higher up the glass. I had a buddy helping me, but we couldn't go any farther because the little two-track road we were trying to go up was too snowy. So we parked where we were, and because it was foggy and snowy, the sun rises later. And as the light came up, I was glassing down this one stringer of willows, and bam, there's a cow moose. First morning out hunting, the snowy morning, and I thought, this is great. So I glassed her for a while, and pretty soon then I saw... Uh, calf moose with it. I'm just going to keep watching here. And then out of the willows emerged this little spike bull moose. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not too picky. I'm hunting with a recurve bow, traditional bow. And I'm like, you know, spike bull would be just fine with me. Any animal is a trophy with a bow. Kept glassing. And then finally, after that, I saw the spike bull, this great big bull emerges out of the willow stringer. And that was all I needed, man. I'm like, I'm all set. So I put on my pack and grabbed my bow. They were coming up these four moose. And they kind of worked their way in and disappeared. And I heard the big bull scraping his antlers on willows. So four options. Which one does Ted take tomorrow? Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. You'll find it all at Sportsman's Warehouse. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. You've probably been told that to reach a millennial farmer, you have to go digital. Hmm. Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, an online publication, or maybe a podcast. Hmm. But which one? Oh, and how receptive is this age group to your sales pitch during non-work social time? Maybe the best place to reach a farmer with a farming solution message is when they are, well, quite frankly, farming. You know, it's easy for us to find them during the day as most farmers are behind the wheel of a pickup truck or farm equipment with the radio on listening to this station for the Ag Information Network of the West News. If you'd like to deliver information about your terrific product or service, give us a call and we'll connect you directly with our community of loyal farmer listeners. Reach real farmers right here, right now as they listen to what is important to their farm operation. They trust us. They'll trust you. You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We got some more audio for you recorded from the Bighorn Outdoor Adventure Show in Spokane and Whenever you come to these shows, you get to check out some lodges and resorts. Well, I want to tell you about one that's new to me, and it might be new to a lot of you. It's the Kukanooza Resort Marina, located north of Libby, Montana. With us here to tell you more about this place and why you'll want to go is the owner, Randy Birch. Randy, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. So why don't we start off by talking about Lake Kukanooza. Where is this located, and why do people want to go there? So Lake Kukanusa is 25 miles north of Libby, Montana, and it runs all the way into the Canadian border. We have 45 miles of boatable water in the United States, 
and it's all owned by the Forest Service, so there's no private land. So you can go to any beach, anywhere on the lake, and camp. There's one island in the United States that you can also camp on, and there's lots of coves and sandy beaches. There's no houses on the lake, so if you like that wilderness kind of look, you got that here because there's no houses on the lake. And there's only two marinas on the whole lake, one here and one 40 miles north of us. So when you're out there boating, you're out there boating, and it's kind of nice not to have a bunch of buildings if you like that. Oh, it sounds absolutely wonderful. Now, if I'm going to go up to a lake, I want to catch some fish. I understand you've got both kokanee and trout up there. Tell our listeners about those populations. So we have rainbow trout. We have kind of two different breeds. They're the pan size, what we call their native rainbows. They run, you know, 6 to about 16, 18 inches. Good eating ones. And then we have the drawed strain. So they, on our lake, run about 6 to 14 pounds. And the kokanee salmon, they run 6 to 14 inches there's a lot of them in the lake. Our possession is 50 to 100 in possession. So there's quite a few kokanee. If you like a really clean, fresh salmon, that's a really good tasting salmon. The water's super cold on our lake. So in the springtime, they're really good eating. Now, I understand that every May you have a trout and salmon derby, and that brings a whole bunch of people up to your resort. Tell our listeners about that and when it's taking place this year, too. So our fishing derby is always the weekend after Mother Day. So this year will be the 14th and 15th. Restaurant on Friday the 13th, and you can start fishing at daylight on the 14th. We pay out six places for the biggest rainbow, and we pay out three places for the salmon. On Sunday between 12 and 2, you bring your 20 biggest salmon, and we pay those out. It's a $20 entry fee, but we do 100% payback to the people. So we never know what the prize money is going to be till everybody signs up because it all goes back to the sportsmen. Give or take, how many people participate in this every year? We usually run about three to 500 people last couple of years. Oh, wow. The last couple of years with the COVID, we've been down, but we still have been having it. We've been running about 300 with the, even with the COVID. Oh, that's a fantastic turnout for a place that's a long ways from anywhere. I absolutely love this. So what does it usually take to be up there for the top prize when it comes to the biggest trout? Uh, usually your double digits. So that, you know, 10 pounds is always a good number. Some years we'll have a little bit smaller. If you want to catch big rainbows, the bigger the rainbows are, usually the weather's not perfect. If you got some rain or some snow or a little bit of wind, cloudy, then that's when we see those 12 and 13 pound rainbows being brought in. I know you've heard this question a million times, so make this a million and one. If I want to catch one of those big Girard strain rainbows, how should I go about doing it? So in the springtime, most of the rainbows, the big ones, are caught off of those big trolling flies. And the black uh, with some brown and a little bit of red in it is really a good fly. If you don't like trolling with flies, then the plugets. Um, which is kind of like a lineman, or the, there's a brand called Plug It, which is a wooden plug about four and a half inches. And the dark collar is the same thing there. That's how we catch them. I presume you're trolling both these behind a flasher. What size and any color in particular? As far as the collar goes, in the springtime, you want to run dark collars. The, the black and gold, the black and silver. Like I said, we have tons of kokanee up there. So anything that looks like a kokanee fish is always good. As far as the flies go, some of the guys will run them on planer boards, if you know what those are. That's what we run in the springtime. Most guys don't run flashers. And the same thing with the plug-its. A lot of times they'll put them on a planer board, and they don't run a flasher because we want them up on top because we have a black ant hatch in the springtime, and 
the carpenter ants, as they as they're known, are all over the lake. So most of the guys are fishing the top. We catch them in the top 15 feet of water in the springtime, and a lot of the guys don't even run flashers. As they start to go deeper, then we start running flashers, and we start running more blues and greens. That's when they're 15 to about 30 feet down. So what I'm hearing so far, two great reasons to come to the Kukanooza Resort and Marina is number one. If you want some good fishing, you've got that. Number two, if you just want to explore this pristine reservoir with lots of beaches to set up on for the day or just kind of, you know, cruise the shoreline, great for that. But this being a reservoir, it does draw down. And in the spring, it draws down quite a bit. And that means that you can have some other types of fun, too. Oh, yeah. So like right now, this year, we are the third lowest we've ever been. We're 96 feet from full pool. So a lot of guys are up. They're going to start ATVing uh, side by side. So if you're below the high water mark, which is all sand, you can ride anywhere. The Forest Service and the Corps doesn't care. And so a lot of people like to come up. They'll go fishing in the morning, and then they go ATVing in the afternoon when the sun comes out. We have lots of basically like dunes. You're listening to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. We're talking to Randy Birch, the owner of the Kukanooza Resort and Marina north of Libby, Montana. We've talked a lot about things to do there at Lake Kukanooza. Let's talk about your resort. What do you have there? So we have everything from cabins to RV sites to tent sites. We have a restaurant and bar that's open from noon till 10 o'clock at night for food. And we serve everything from burgers to prime rib. We have a full store there because we are 25 miles from town, so we carry everything. The only thing I don't sell is diesel, but we do have gas, we do have propane, and like I said, we have a full stock store for fishing and just for those things that you forget. Not everybody has a boat. If they don't have one, can they rent one from you, and what kind of boats do you rent? So we have pontoon boats. We have six pontoons, and we run everything we have a couple 18-footers, great for fishing, a couple 24-footers for a little bit bigger if you want to go run around, and we have two 25-footers with slides on them. So you can go out and play in the lake and slide into the water. All right. Well, as you heard, folks, there's a lot of reasons to head up to Lake Kukanooza in northwest Montana, and now you know the place to go. It's the Kukanooza Resort Marina. Here's the website for you, and don't worry, I'll spell it. It's kukanoozaresort.com. That's K O O C. A-N-U-S-A resort.com Kukanooza resort.com I know you've been busy so people probably better book in a hurry if they want to stay with you this summer right? Oh uh, yes we are booking pretty heavy right now it's a fun place and since there's not a lot of houses there's a lot of open lake if you like to ski and stuff in the middle of summer or if you surf there's a lot of places to go and surf and you don't have boats all around you Again, folks, Lake Kukanooza and the Kukanooza Resort Marina make plans to head to northwest Montana this spring and summer and have some fun. Thanks so much, Randy. Well, thank you guys and hope to see some of you. This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at Cena Sea Seafood. And I've got to admit, kokanee salmon, it is a very tasty fish, but it doesn't compare to Copper River Sockeye Salmon. That is the absolute bomb. And you can get Copper River Sockeye Salmon as well as Sockeye and Coho Salmon caught out of Prince William Sound from Cena Sea Seafoods. They also have halibut. They have sablefish. And I want to talk about something here. And that's the sustainability part of this. You see, Cena Sea, they don't target stocks 
of salmon that are endangered or in trouble that are coming down to Puget Sound or certain areas of Canada like the Fraser River. No, the stocks they are targeting are healthy stocks of salmon, so no guilt is needed when eating this premium, wild-caught, carefully packaged Alaskan seafood that's going to arrive right at your door. So order today. You can do so by going to SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. And don't forget to use the promo code OUTDOORSRADIO for 10% off your order. Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallowa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallowa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million-dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness and fish or raft the Wallowa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallowa County. Plan your visit today at WallowaCountyChamber.com. That's WallowaCountyChamber.com. with more of the great outdoors on Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. It's time for another Max Minute brought to you every week from Max Lure. It is spring and it's time to talk kokanee fishing. And whether you're fishing Lake Stevens in western Washington or Lake Chelan in central Washington, maybe Wallowa Lake in northeast Oregon or Kukanooza Reservoir up there in Montana or maybe Bob Loomis's favorite Flaming Gorge. You've got to use the right lure. Bob, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. What is the lure to use this spring for kokanee? Flaming Gorge. Oh, <laughs> wrong answer. I'll tell you what, one of my favorites that uh, I absolutely love is the Smile Blade Kokanee Hoochie. And the whole setup is basically geared around, you've got a uh, two-inch clear high UV hoochie with a pill float up inside which is colored and we do them in four different colors high chartreuse pink orange and red along with a 1-1 uv glow smile blade on top of it and i gotta tell you it, it's one of my go-tos uh wherever i go i'm used to seeing people fish red or pink for kokanee never seen anybody fish chartreuse is that for muddier waters you know, honestly, chartreuse works well at certain times throughout the year. We actually fish it a lot early, early season, but certain times throughout the summer, I'll put chartreuse with pink together, and those two together work very well. And yes, you're right, colored waters, it, it does work very well in, but regardless, it's one of my... Uh, aces in the hole when fish are not biting real well i'll go to those two high uv colors together and they work fantastic all right one more time with the name of this kokanee killer that's the smile blade kokanee hoochie the smile blade kokanee hoochie look for it at a store near you or you can find it online anytime at all at maxlure.com Wally pop, wally pop, oh wally, 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 wally pop, wally pop, oh wally, 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 wally pop, wally pop, oh wally, 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 wally pop. Sweeter than a crawler on two hooks, spinning smile blade all the time. Fill the tube with scent to catch those fish in a walleye, you're mine. It's the Wally Pop, only from Max Lure. 
Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is the voice for your public lands, waters, and wildlife. From the Canadian Yukon to the Florida Everglades, we're stepping up to conserve North America's public lands, defend our hunting and fishing traditions, and expand access to the outdoors. Find out how you can get involved at backcountryhunters.org. on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we are heading to the Dalles. As you know, they are a sponsor of our national show, America Outdoors Radio, and there's some great fishing to be had in the Dalles in the beautiful Columbia River Gorge. One person who knows that more than anybody is Dale Ballard. He's a full-time guide and the owner of Fin Reaper Guide Service. Dale, great to have you back on the air. It's great to be back. Thank you, John. Let's talk April fishing in the Columbia River Gorge. We're talking two species here, walleye and we're talking salmon. Let's start off with the walleye. The bite's been pretty good lately. Yet, I've heard of some great bite. I have not been up there yet myself. I will be here after this next week, and I'll be fishing it after the 1st of April quite frequently right on through into May. Do you fish the Dalles Pool between the Dalles and Rufus, or do you fish that John Day Pool between basically Rufus and and all the way up towards Umatilla and Boardman. Actually, I even fished down below the Dalles Dam in the Bonneville Pool. It doesn't have as much uh, pressure as up above, and I've, I've had some very good days there. And, of course, the weather's kind of an issue, too, because the wind can set up, but maybe I'd want to fish down by Rowena and, and that area. Let's talk about expectations for an April fishery. Is the spawn over? Are we not talking about the big hens anymore? Well, there's still some around, but uh, by that time, most of our tactics involved, you know, of course, locating the fish and then uh, usually uh, bottom walkers and employing that technique and, and just covering some ground. So are you using like a spinner harness, like a, a max double whammy or a wally pop, something like that? I actually uh, like the smiley blades and set up my own kind of custom rigs. And are you a night crawler guy or something else? Yeah, I'm usually night crawlers. Yep. Scent? Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, more the better. Well, okay, got to ask. Are you willing to spill the beans on what kind of scent you like to use? Oh, it does vary. I switch up, especially if things are slow, then I'll switch it up. But I, I don't know that I have an absolute favorite. Generally speaking, on these walleye trips, you know, there is no limit. But, of course, there's a limit to how many walleye a guide wants to fillet. Uh, what do you usually tell people they can expect on a good day? Well, I've got kind of a personal uh, idea on that, and I usually tell people, you know, on a good day, we'll keep 10 fish. And in the last couple of years, since this uh, limit has been taken off, it's gotten harder to, to fill those limits. Yeah, I've heard that. I've definitely heard that. Now, walleye is going on now, but something else is going to be coming up in April are the Spring Chinook. Uh, let's talk about that fishery and where you're looking for those fish. Okay, I'll be starting out below Bonneville, and that fishery will close on April 6th. I will move above Bonneville, the Dalles area, maybe even higher, depending upon when that closes. I don't anticipate it going more than about 10 days after the the closure on the 6th. I think everyone's familiar with the Wind River and Drano Lake as, as places to go. 
When you're talking about above the Dells, are we talking about the mouth of the Deschutes? Not for Springers, not so much, but uh, I do a lot of Pro Troll 360s and moving around and finding their lanes and using my electronics to locate the fish in, in the reservoirs. There are some places there, especially below the Dells Dam, that uh, if you can get the slots to anchor up, quick fish, wrap, that's the, that's the ticket. And with a decent spring Chinook run this year, folks, it could be worth your while to book a trip with Fin Reaper Guide Service. You are listening to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. We're talking to the owner of Fin Reaper Guide Service, Dale Ballard. If you're hearing some noise in the background, that's because we are recording this at the Bighorn Outdoor Adventure Show. So if you're hearing some, some clucks in the background from a turkey call or some voices, that would be why you're hearing that. Let's move on to a different fishery. Now... We don't have the dates yet, but generally speaking, in May, Oregon and Washington fisheries managers, they'll open up the lower Columbia River by the estuary for a catch-and-keep sturgeon season, and this can be a ton of fun, can it? Oh, yeah, we usually catch a lot of fish. We might get maybe only a couple of keepers, but we catch a bunch of fish down there, and, and some oversized, too, to make it really exciting. What has been the keeper size in terms of the slot limit in the lower estuary in recent years? I think we're going on about six years now, and that is 44 to 50 inches in that particular fishery. That's from the nose to the fork of the tail, folks. And you're going to be amazed how many 43-inch and 51-inch sturgeon there are out there. That, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> it is very true. So I, I have heard, though, of folks going out there and catching dozens of sturgeon on a day of fishing until they get their one sturgeon they get to keep, take home with them. That's uh, more likely than not, yes. When it comes to bait, what do you like to use? Because I know different guides have different different favorites. Uh, use anything as long as just fresh anchovies. <laughs> and that's why I was asking. I, I know there's shad guys, there's shrimp guys, there's herring guys, and there's anchovy guys. Well, and uh, I always use uh, sand shrimp down there as well. And, right. and both uh, you know, live, fresh stuff is the ticket. These lower estuary sturgeon trips, if you're just out to catch big fish, and we're talking like on average three to three and a half foot sturgeon here, folks, and a whole bunch of them, if you've never caught a big fish before, this is a ton of fun, isn't it? Oh, and absolutely. And, and you have every expectation to see five and six, seven footers. Absolutely. Those are called a workout, especially once you get seven foot and above. You catch one of those, you might say, I'm done for the day because that, that's some work. Had a client last year. We got one that was between nine and ten foot in about two and a half feet of water. That oh, was... my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, again, we don't have the dates yet, but if people are interested in the concept, what should they do if they want to book a trip with you? What I'm doing right now is taking the name and getting a phone number. If somebody wants to book, send me a check or, you know, put a down payment on it. Then I put them at the top of the list. They get the premium dates, and then we go down from there. Otherwise, just give me a call, and I'll uh, take down the email address, uh, phone number, and give them a call back. All right. Well, let's tell you where to find that number. I'm not going to give it over the air. I'm just going to send you the website. Really easy. Finn Reaper, like the Grim Reaper. FinnReaper.com. That's FinnReaper.com for Dale Ballard. And if you're looking for places to stay around the Dalles, if you're going on one of these salmon or walleye trips, go to ExploreTheDalles.com. That's the website for the Dalles Area Chamber of Commerce. It's chock full of information about places to stay, places to eat, breweries, wineries, and things to do when you're not fishing, too, to include 
a visit to the wonderful world-class Columbia Gorge Discovery Center. Again, explorethedalles.com for places to stay and things to do around the Dalles and finreaper.com to book your trip with Dale Ballard, whether you're after sturgeon, walleye, or salmon on the Columbia River. Thanks, Dale. Yep. Thank you. And uh, email to it, dale at finreaper.com. Okay. Dale at finreaper.com. That's easy to remember as well. Yep. Dale at finreaper.com. Thanks again, Dale. Thank you. Next on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, let's talk about shed antler hunting. It's something fun to do before people get out there for turkey hunting season and spring bear hunting season in states like Idaho and Oregon that are allowing it this year. But you need to keep in mind, you can't do it everywhere here in the Northwest, at least not yet. As a matter of fact, you can't hunt for shed antlers in the state of Wyoming until May 1st. If you're west of the Continental Divide, likewise in the state of Montana, you may be tempted to go to a state wildlife management area, but the fact of the matter is those WMAs, they're closed after hunting season and don't reopen, uh, most of them, until noon on May 15th. Same goes for most block management areas that you can hunt on during hunting season. If you want to go on those lands to hunt for shed antlers, you actually need to get permission of the landowner before beginning to look. Last but not least, don't even think of looking for antler sheds in Montana State Parks. It's prohibited to take those or any other natural objects you find in a state park home with you. Shed antler hunting, it's fun, but follow the rules. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wing beats on a duck marsh, public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. Go fishing, make money, help out, and have fun. That's what the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery is all about. From May 1st through September 30th, catch pike minnow out of the Columbia and Snake Rivers and turn them in for cash. Pike minnow eat juvenile salmon and steelhead. Each one you catch helps more juvenile fish reach the ocean. Pike minnow are worth anywhere from 5 to 8 bucks, and keep an eye out for tagged fish worth $500. Find out more at pikeminnow.org and go fishing. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. Next up on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we've got Bradley Trumbo back with us. He's the author of Wing Shooting the Palouse, a great book about upland bird hunting and bird dogs. And you can find it at Amazon.com if you're into these subjects, especially when it comes to southeast Washington. You're going to enjoy the read. Brad, great to have you back on the air. Hey, thanks, John. Glad to be here. So I've got you back because in addition to being an author, in addition to being a columnist, you are, by day, a fish and game biologist for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, aren't you? Yeah, that is correct. I'm out down in Walla Walla, Washington. So I would love to pick your brain on this subject. I got to go to South Dakota about five years ago. 
and got to hunt pheasants out there, and I felt like I was in Valhalla. I never saw more pheasants in my life than I did in three days of hunting there. I think we probably saw about 500 pheasants flush, and that probably equates to the entire number of pheasants I've seen flush in Washington State in the 30-plus years I've been hunting here. I mean, Washington State, especially eastern Washington, used to have great pheasant populations, but they've just cratered. And I assume that's because of a loss of habitat and changing farming practices. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd say you're, you're largely right on that, John. Particularly when I talk to folks that are from this area, you know, with how efficient we've been with new equipment and technologies in, in the wheat farming practices, a lot of those, I guess, draw bottoms and fence rows and, you know, the small habitat strips that are enough to conceal some upland birds have largely gone away. And I think with that, a lot of the pheasants have as well. And uh, in addition to that, a lot of invasive species expansion, like yellow star thistle, for example, has cut out a lot of suitable habitat also, you know, in areas that aren't actually farmed right now. used to be back in the day, there's a lot of corn, a lot of alfalfa. The corn's still around, but you don't see the alfalfa nearly as much as you used to. And they cut it a lot more than they used to as well. I mean, it used to be there'd be like maybe one or two cuttings a year. Now they're cutting it several times in a season. And a lot of times that happens right when the pheasants are nesting, doesn't it? Yep. And that makes a big difference too. You know, plants like alfalfa are actually really good nesting cover because they provide that right cover for uh, nest concealment and, and chick safety. But they also provide the insect food sources that the hens and the chicks need as they're going through that broodering process. And with, uh, you know, with the changes in farming practices and when things are cut and actually physically how they cut them, that makes a big difference on chick survival and, and overall brood success. In South Dakota, there are some ranchers, there are some farmers who, who have some sustainable practices that you know allow them to do what they need to do in terms of producing crops, producing cattle, but also leave cover for pheasants at the right time. You know, when it comes to pheasants here in Washington, when it comes to pheasants in eastern Oregon, if you were king, what are some things you would do to turn this around and bring our pheasants back? Well, one of the things I have to point to is our CRP program. That's the Conservation Reserve Program that's so big across the the agricultural industry. And that's where the uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service provides funding for leaving habitat in place or fallowing farm ground. One of the things that uh, Pheasants Forever, for example, has a big mission on regarding that is ensuring that those grounds actually have a good variety of plant species, so it's not like a monoculture of a single grass type or a single forb or what have you. You know, the, the species diversity in the plant structure is just as important as having that fallowed ground or, or natural type habitat in the first place. So being able to bolster the species variety and how we use that CRP program in this region is one good thing. And another is, you know, if we could get into something more like strip cropping or Going back to leaving some of those areas, I think one of the terms dirty farming is kind of how we looked at it in the past where you had your uh, field corners or, or whatever that you know still had grasslands or, or something like that. Leaving some of that and maybe not burning things off as much, you know, going back to some of those smaller habitat patches that are available throughout the ag lands it might offer some, some better opportunity. Oh, I agree completely. But here's the question. How do you convince a farmer who is looking at his bottom line where every penny counts to leave those corners, to leave those ditch rows, to leave those fence lines with cover, you know, when, when they want to maximize their yield? Well, that's a great question, too. And that's, that's a really tough one to get at. You know, we can understand precisely where that farmer is coming from. 
And, uh, you know, part of it comes down to what their personal philosophy is on habitat and conservation. Something that I don't think is caught on well out here but is doing great in the Midwest is a farming practice where you're basically looking at the productivity of your entire acreage and prioritizing what you actually plant versus what you would put into a program like CRP because you can actually cut out some of the less productive areas and end up saving money on it if you're not trying to plant it but getting a poor yield from it, you know, in comparison to the rest of the property. So, you know, that's something that if that were to catch on here, we might see more of that, that patchy habitat come back. Very interesting thoughts from Bradley Trumbo. He's a man who loves pheasant hunting and pheasants and bird dogs. And I would encourage you to check out his new book, Wing Street in the Palouse. You can find it at Amazon. You can also find it at Barnes & Noble and Kiyoki Books as well. Brad, thanks for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Awesome. Thanks, John. Staying with conservation, have you heard of the swift fox? It's not red or gray like most of the foxes you may see. No, this one's tawny colored and it's native to the grass prairies of the northern plains. Unfortunately, the swift fox has been in significant decline in recent years, but the Wyoming Game and Fish Commission is working on bringing them back. They're doing so by translocating up to 30 swift foxes from eastern Wyoming this year to the Fort Belknap Indian Reservation in Montana in a continued effort to bolster populations in a five-year reintroduction effort. Wyoming previously translocated 27 foxes in 2020 and 18 in 2021. The department plans to conduct statewide population monitoring in Wyoming of swift foxes next year. And moving on to other news, a lot of you probably don't know that in addition to hosting and producing this show and our sister show, America Outdoors Radio, I have also been writing a syndicated outdoors news column for the last three years. It's called the Washington Outdoors Report, and it's carried by seven newspapers in central and eastern Washington to include the Columbia Basin Herald, the Statesman Examiner in Colville, the Leavenworth Echo, the Lake Chelan Mirror, the Cashmere Valley Record, the Quad City Herald, and the Golden Dale Sentinel. Our articles also appear once a month in the Real Life magazine published by Northwest Fishing Reports. And if it's not carried by your newspaper, ask them to carry the Washington Outdoors Report. We've had a couple of interesting columns, if I say so myself, in the last two weeks. One of them was about carp, the problems they are causing in waters like Moses Lake in eastern Washington, and a bow fishing tournament organized by Ty Swartout that is helping to get some of these carp out of that lake. Then there's our latest article, which is all about the Washington Fish and Game Commission and their decision to kill a spring bear hunt in the Evergreen State that has taken place since 1999. The commission is appointed by Governor Inslee, and after this decision and some other recent ones, you have to ask the question, is Jay Inslee against hunting? From his recent picks for the commission, you'd have to say, yeah, I think he is. When you listen to the comments from his latest picks for the commission, it's apparent that several of them have a bias against hunting in general, and they can best be described not as conservationists who embrace the North American model of conservation, which includes hunting as a management tool, but instead as preservationists who favor a hands-off approach to wildlife that puts hunting on the back burner and values social values and emotion more than science. One of the new commissioners, Melanie Rowland from the Methow Valley in north-central Washington, went so far 
as to question whether the hunting of animals should even occur because of climate change. And here you thought this sort of thing was limited to California. Oh no, it's been creeping into Washington, and unfortunately, hunters and anglers are now facing a state fish and game commission that does not appear to be their friend. So, what's a person to do? If you live or hunt in Washington, I would urge you to get involved and join organizations like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, which has an active chapter in Washington State, the Inland Northwest Wildlife Council, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, which believes hunting is a key part of conservation, or the Sportsman's Alliance, a national organization that fights for the rights of hunters. Because... If you sit on the sidelines and don't join this fight, you'll likely see our hunting traditions in Washington begin to disappear, just like our spring bear hunt just did. By the way, if you don't subscribe to the papers our column appears in every week, I do post a link to it on Facebook. Look for the Washington Outdoors Report, either on our Northwestern Outdoors Radio Facebook page or on my personal page found under my name, John Cruz. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. You'll find it all at Sportsman's Warehouse. Better still, the knowledgeable staff can help you with tips and in-store seminars, all designed to help you bag a trophy or a limit. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. Go fishing. Help salmon and make money. You can do it through September 30th by catching northern pike minnow and turning them in for cash. Here's how it works. First, register at a designated station on the Columbia or Snake River. Then, go fishing. At the end of the day, turn in any pike minnow you catch 9 inches or longer and look for the ones with tags worth 500 bucks. You'll get vouchers for those pike minnow you turn in, and you mail those in for cash. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. We've got time for one more shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. I'm glad you're back. It's April. That means two things are going on right now. Number one, spring trout fishing, and number two, spring turkey hunting. The place to gear up for either one of these activities, it's the same. It's your local Sportsman's Warehouse stores. There's over 125 of them located throughout the United States, most of them in the western U.S., and quite a few right here in the greater northwest. So, Head on down to a Sportsman's Warehouse store near you and gear up for spring trout and spring turkey. And now it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week. And it's about the fox. They are cool animals. I've only seen a handful of them in my lifetime, but I always love it when I do. They look like a small to medium-sized dog, but they act like a cat. And some fox species can actually climb trees like a cat. Here's your question. Is the fox more related to the canine or dog family or to the cat family? If you know the answer, you know what to do. Go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio and give us your answer there. If you don't do Facebook, then contact us through our website at NorthwesternOutdoors.com. Just shoot us an email and let us know about the fox. Is it part of the canine family or the cat family? One lucky person who guesses right wins that $25 gift card we give away every week from Sportsman's Warehouse. 
One last thing before we go today, and that's about a bass tournament I'll be competing in next Saturday the 9th. It's a big bass tournament being put on by the Mount St. Helens Bassmasters at Potholes Reservoir in eastern Washington. Now, in most bass tournaments, you go out and catch bass and weigh in the five heaviest ones you catch with the heaviest bag winning the tournament. This is different, though. Every hour, you can weigh in a fish, and the heaviest fish weighed in every hour between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. is worth $1,000. At the end of the day, the team that caught the biggest bass, they win $10,000, and the second biggest bass earns a nice check as well, $3,000. The thing I love about a big bass tournament versus a traditional tournament is the fact that even a blind squirrel can find a big nut from time to time, and as for me and my best friend Rusty Johnston, we are definitely a couple of blind squirrels when it comes to the world of tournament bass fishing. But, as Jim Carrey famously said in Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance? Yes, there is. And we'll be there fishing for it next Saturday. Wish us luck as we hunt for a big bass. By the way, if this sounds like a fun day to you, and trust me, it's going to be. You can participate too, as long as you have a boat with a live well. It's definitely not too late. You can register today through the Mount St. Helens Bassmasters website. You'll find that at mshbm.org. Again, that's mshbm.org. And register for the Mount St. Helens Big Bass Tournament taking place Saturday the 9th at Mardon Resort on Eastern Washington's Potholes Reservoir. I hope to see you there. And on that note, we've got to go. But until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. <laughs>